So, uh, last, are we doing the offering now? Yeah. The offering baskets will come round, but I'm just going to start anyway. So, last week we continued our series on identity and who we are born to be. And Steve started looking at this whole area of shame and how that keeps us from being designed of all that God has designed us to be. And I'm actually going to do the same today. I prepared, I'd actually prepared a whole other talk on the next verse in Ephesians. You've noticed if you've been around for a while, that it's taken us a while to get through Ephesians. Um, we're still on chapter 1. We're still in verse sort of 3, 4, 5. Um, but I kind of actually felt like God wanted us to look a little bit deeper at this area. And so I went back to the drawing board and uh, prepared a whole other talk. And I want us to help us move on from something that can cripple us. Because our Father's house... Here in church, our Father's house is a house of joy, it's a house of delight, it's a house of freedom, and his intention towards us is to release his glory in us. That's his intention. And Jesus came to liberate us from the power of shame. He gave us the right to become his children. I don't know whether you remember any of the dreams that you had as a child, like maybe who you were going to be with, who you were going to marry, what you were going to do. And some of those dreams kind of get a bit squashed, don't they, as we go through life. Some of them kind of die, die a little bit and they get buried. And sometimes they get buried under fears. We're afraid to chase the dream maybe that we had as a child. But often what happens is that we make choices, we make decisions, or things happen to us in life, don't they? And our, instead of running with our dreams... We find ourselves running with regret or with shame or sort of having this constant companion of shame running alongside of us. So we're going to read, we're going to reread the same passage of scripture that we looked at last week. And um, if you've, please feel free, if you haven't got a Bible, if you don't own a Bible at home, you have spare Bibles, so please feel free to take one. They should be on the information desk. But we're going to look at a few scriptures today. So if you've got Bibles, use them. The words are going to come up on the screen. So this is Ephesians 1. And it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And I don't know whether you remember last week, that word blameless, Steve talked about being unstained innocence. I love that phrase. He chose us to be holy and innocent, unstained innocent in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So, there's so much in there, isn't there? You can see why we're going a bit slowly on this whole Ephesians thing, because it's so rich. You could spend weeks just in those few verses. We have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, but wouldn't it be great if we could become people who understand what it's like who has, that we have a dad who delights in us? That's, that's the key to all of this, to truly know what it's like to be adopted into his family and for him to be our father. If we really knew 
how much he delights in us. I think it would change everything. So just to recap on last week, Steve talked about the fact that you were never meant to taste shame. We weren't designed for shame. That was never part of God's design. But we can often find ourselves running from shame or running with shame. And that shame can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. And mainly through different behaviours. Whether it's addiction, alcoholism, workaholism. But these symptoms, they're just a sim- they're, these behaviours, they're just symptoms. And it's often, a, it, it's these behaviours, the symptoms of having shame at our core. Sometimes it can manifest itself through perfectionism. Trying to dot all the I's, cross all the T's making sure that we have a nice ordered lifestyle that looks great to everybody else. But basically, often it's often an attempt to safeguard and shield our souls from failure and for actually admitting that maybe you might not do your job in a perfect way or you might not raise your kids in a perfect way or you might not be a perfect friend. And what would happen, actually, if you were found out to be less than perfect? And it can come from legalism as well, can't it? It can come from religion. And I think religion is the bedfellow of shame. It can come in all kinds of ways, but however it arrives in our hearts, it always seeks to strip our, our dignity and to steal our destiny. And that's the goal of shame, is to take you away from who you are in God. And that's what we're trying to discover here through the book of Ephesians, who we are in Christ. Now, there was a man in the Bible, and he was a king, And he found himself running from shame. And we're going to read um, a couple of verses from Psalm 3. Now it says it's a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And now recently, fairly, it was fairly recently before this psalm was written, David had had a one night stand, which had cost him everything. And I think this had allowed a doorway of shame into his life. And slightly after this time, his son Absalom, he's hunting him down for a different reason. But I can imagine like those voices of shame in David's head following him as he was on the run. And this is, he meets various people on the way and they, they curse him. And this is what David's response is. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And you can always imagine him, can he? He's like massively messed up and you can imagine all these people coming well god's not going to deliver you is he you know look look what you've done and this is almost like his prayer like god so many people against me you're not going to deliver me but then he says but you lord are a shield around me my glory the one who lifts my head high and in the middle of his shame kind of coming back David suddenly remembers and he recognises that God isn't just a shield, but he's the one who lifts up his head. So when everything in him is thoroughly ashamed, God lifts up his head. And I, I think today God wants to remind you that actually he's the one that lifts up your head. And I think, you know, I think sometimes we know this, we know this, but we don't actually know this. You know, when we actually, do we actually believe that God lifts up our head? Anytime you go to put it down, 
God says, that's not who you are and that's not who I am. I am the God who lifts up your, your head. And I, and I think any time we're drawn towards shame or a posture of shame, God always wants to change it and reverse it. He doesn't keep us there. But you have to allow him to lift up your head. And I think if you don't allow him to lift up your head, probably one of, one of two things will happen. Probably the first one is that we'll lift it up ourselves and we'll lift it up in pride. And we all know people, don't we, that they won't allow God to lift up their heads, but they, they, they kind of promote themselves, they talk about themselves all the time, they talk about their accomplishments, they talk about their, their achievements in their career, and that's, yeah, we, we, we all do that. I think in London in particular, we, we, we try and kind of lift our, ourselves up, don't we, and promote ourselves. And I think if we, the second thing that will happen if we, we don't lift up our heads is that we allow something or someone else to do it. Or we'll look to sex to get the ego lift that we need. Or we'll look to our career to get the ego lift we need. But if we look to God and we recognise that we're coming to him as his children, that's the key, that we're his children. We don't suddenly find ourselves abandoned as orphans. And I want to go to Zephaniah 3. And um, it says here, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Why don't you just read that with me? Read that, read that to each other. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. God is saying to you, he's saying I am with you and I rejoice in you. And I want to drop down again, I think that one is quite a well-known verse, some people might have heard that before, it's often a verse that's spoken about, but I want to drop down to verse 19, and um, this is God, in this context, God is speaking to his people who've lost their home because of their shameful practices, and he's speaking to them as they've been exiled because of, because of what they've done. And this is what God says. He says, at that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. And I will give them honour and praise. And um, I, th this kind of doesn't quite sit right with me. So, you know, we, who, who gives who honour and praise? We've just spent half an hour just giving God honour and praise, haven't we, this morning? We've been giving him all the glory, you're worthy of it all. But here, God is saying to his people, I will give them praise and honour. And I also feel slightly awkward about that. Feels a bit like, oh, that's not quite sure. And he says, I'll give them praise and honour in every land where they've suffered shame. And I, I think every place in your life, every place in my life, where there's been disgrace. Jesus says, God says, I'm going to change the name of that place. And that place where they may look back on as regret or shame. God says, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make it a place of praise and honour. So it's incredible, isn't it? It's not just he rescues us from shame, but actually in that place where we've been shamed, 
he replaces it with praise and honour. That's incredible. It's amazing. The place of our shame, that's the place where God wants to bring praise and honour. And he says, at that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home and I will give you honour and praise. And I think one of the reasons we know we're, we're home is because we're honoured. And uh, I think home is the place where honour starts and home ought to be the place where we realise that it doesn't matter what we do, that Dad's delight is in us and he loves us. We, we named our daughter Abigail. I can talk about her this morning because she's not here. Brilliant. Um, so we named her Abigail because it means father's joy. And we wanted her to know that Steve, her own earthly dad, that he delights in her. But we wanted to know right at the core of her being that her heavenly father totally delights in her too. And we can teach our children, can't we? We can teach our children, whether they're our own, ch- our own children, our nieces, our nephews, the kids in kids' church here today. We, can, we have the opportunity to teach them right from day one that they have a heavenly father who delights in them. And if they, if they can really get that, if we, would, if we would have really got that from day one, it would change everything. So God says, I will bring you home, I will give you honour and praise among all the peoples of the earth. And what he's literally saying is, I'm going to show you off. I'm going to show you off. I'm going to make it known to people that you are mine. And I don't know whether you've ever watched parents at a school play when their little Johnny is getting on stage. And almost if you don't watch the kids, but you're watching the parents as they're watching the kids. And... You, you just see their, their faces light up, don't you? You see the, the, the proud mum or dad as they're, they're looking at little Johnny, fluff his words and trip up and uh, all the rest of it. But you never, you never look at those parents, do you, and think, oh, that's sinful pride there. It's scandalous. Why are they looking with so much pleasure at their children? You never do that, do you? But it's the, it's the delight that a dad and a mum has in their kid. And God says... Hey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that about you. So God's intention is not only to remove shame, but it's to release honour. It's incredible. It is incredible. And we have to allow the Lord to honour us without fearing pride. I think Jesus says, my father will honour the one who serves me. My father will take them and bring them into a place of honour. And I think that one of the ways that you know you're serving God is that Dad honours you. And if you haven't had Dad honour you, it's possible that you're a slave to Jesus, but you're not serving him. It's possible that you've entered the back door of religion, but you actually haven't entered the family. It's possible that you're preserving your reputation through rules, but you've never known Dad. And Dad loves to honour, and he says, my father will honour the one who serves me. And again, this is desperately uncomfortable. And I think the reason we're so uncomfortable with God honouring is that we still think like servants rather than like sons. But that's what happens in family, isn't it? If someone said, "That's oh, he's such a good boy, that reflects well on the parents, doesn't it? I love it when people say to me, oh, your kids are great kids. I don't think... Oh, why are they saying that? 
you know, I, I'm like, oh, that reflects great on me. Thanks very much. <laughs> Probably doesn't. You're on Steve. I'm on Steve, obviously, yeah. Um, so God, but God's not afraid of his kids getting honour because it reflects well on him. They're his kids. And I think we're afraid of that because we're still thinking like servants. This is what the passage in Ephesians is talking about. We are adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ. And I think this is what I want to say, that this restoration, this removal of shame, it actually, it actually depends on the transmission of honour and the realisation that you're a child of God. That's what the key is here. That's how we get rid of shame, is realising that we're children of God. And if you don't allow God to honour you, I think you'll live with shame the rest of your life and you can, you can get on that treadmill of religion, can't you? And you, you'll get on the treadmill, you'll fall... Make a fool of yourself. And you're like, but I tried, God, I tried so hard. It's just so difficult. And you have a perspective of worthlessness that actually doesn't belong anywhere near the heart of the God. Shame comes from the enemy. It never comes from Dad. And you'll just be on that treadmill your whole life until you learn how to receive honour. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a brethren church. And... There was a strong emphasis on following rules. We did, we did religion pretty well. I was, I was a fairly good girl as far as my behaviour went. Certainly, well, until I was a teenager anyway. And I, but I've done religion. I've had to come out of religion because shame was often my companion. And the idea that somehow you're worthless is not the way that you come to God. The way we come to God is to recognise his greatness. That's how we come to God. We recognise his greatness. We come to God. We recognise how amazing he is. And Jesus, Jesus says, doesn't he? He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God's goal is that we're like Jesus. But we're, all, we're okay to say that when we talk about conduct, when we talk about behaviour, when we talk about the things that we're doing. But what about who we actually are? If our Father is glorious and we come before him in a posture of worthlessness, that actually dishonours our dad. But Paul says, he says in this letter to the Ephesians that we're slowly going through, he says, God has raised us up in Christ. And I talked a few weeks ago about this concept of being in Christ. And this is the crux. It's the basic, basic truth of our identity. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he traded places with us. He literally traded places with me. All of the death, all of the shame, all of the condemnation, all of that that I deserved, that went to Jesus. But that wasn't it. It wasn't just like this one-way street where he just got all of my crap. But all of the forgiveness and all of the love and all of the grace that Jesus has as the Son of God, that, came, that comes to me. And if we're in Christ, we are in Christ's position, and Christ is in our position. And he wants you to know that he's inscribed glory and honour into your life, so that we live from that perspective of being in Christ. And I think the difficulty we have with that is, is this whole thing of humility, true humility. And I think actually we've probably got a bit of a skewed concept of what humility is. 
And I think true humility, it isn't about making less of yourself. It's about seeing yourself how God sees you and what you're saying about yourself being what God says about you. It's humility to agree with God. And it's pride to disagree with God. If God says something about you and you believe it and agree with it, then you're humble. If God says you're his child and he's delighted in you, he's included you in Christ. And I think probably this kind of false humility is probably worse in this country than in many other countries. We kind of put ourselves down the whole time, don't we, and we think we're being humble. But actually, that's really distasteful to the Father. People trying to impress him rather than receiving all that he's given them. And I think false humility, it fuels worthlessness. And it's the back door to shame. So God, he never teaches you humility, does he, by teaching you who you're not. He teaches you humility by reminding us who he is. He doesn't come alongside you and say, oh, you're doing that right, are you? doesn't come alongside you and kind of prod you and point out everything that's wrong with you. And again and again, he just says, here's who I am. Here's who I am. Come under my mighty hand. That's what the psalmist says, doesn't he? He says, humble yourself under my mighty hand. And in due season, he will lift you up. Just because you're elevated doesn't mean you're not proud doesn't mean you're proud and just because you're hidden doesn't mean to say that you're humble it doesn't, doesn't work like that it's about the heart posture isn't it if you elevate yourself the father will not embrace you not embrace that but if you hide yourself and the father comes to elevate you he won't embrace that either it might, it might look good and play out in a religious context but if God is calling you out of the hidden parts then he, that's not being proud I don't know whether you can imagine any parents um, saying to their child, just like, never forget you're worthless. Never forget that. Never forget you've got nothing to bring to the world. You're just a worm. Could you imagine doing that? Could you imagine any parent doing that? But maybe you have had that. Maybe you have had that by your mum or your dad, maybe you've had that said over you in the past, but that's not the truth of who that your heavenly father says that you are. That is not the truth. So I want us to understand that we're children of God. That's the, that's the benchmark, isn't it? I am a child of God. We just sang that in that song. That's who I am. I know who my daddy is. That's, that's, that's the reality, isn't it? Do you know who your daddy is? He delights in us. He wants to show us off. He wants to release his honour on us and displace our shame. 